And uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We're going to jump right back into it this week. Uh, Last week, David Ogren was with us, and it was going to be his last time, at least in the role uh, that he's been serving with Great Commission Media Ministry. And so there's been other times that he's visited, and I've given him a passage of Scripture, but I just said this time, David, share whatever's on your heart. And so he shared what a timely word that was last week. Amen? How many of you were blessed by that word? Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. Whatever situation uh, we're facing, we can call on the Lord to arise in the midst of our situation. And so uh, we're getting back into Romans today. If you have a note sheet, I encourage you to pull it out. Uh, pull your, your Bibles out. Uh, God's just been doing something very special, I believe, in our midst. Uh, what took place last week at the altar carried over into our Tuesday night prayer as we worshiped together, and uh, we spent time at the altar. And, um, you know, my prayer recently, just for our church, is I've been praying, God, would you just lead us into all truth? Would you lead us into all truth? Would you uh, reveal that to us and help us walk in it? And so we know this, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Amen? And so as we spend time in his presence, he leads us as we dig into the word of God. It is the word of truth. Amen? And, and so we're thankful for both of those this morning. And so before we read there in Romans chapter 7, I just want to remind you kind of where we've been because uh, Paul is not going to start a new thought here in chapter 7. He's really going to continue to explain what he did in Romans chapter 6. Now, remember, this is a letter, okay, that Paul wrote. And so initially, there were no uh, chapter and verse designations, okay? They weren't there in the beginning. Those are there for our help. So I can tell you where to go right now and where we are, right? But in Romans 6, 14, remember, Paul made this statement. And it was a a challenging statement to, to Jewish believers that we are not under the law, but we are under grace, in other words, because of what Christ has done in our lives, things have dramatically changed. Uh, I said a few weeks ago, you can't die and come back to life and not be changed, right? And so we died with Christ, but we've been raised with him, and now we have a new relationship. We have a new relationship with sin. Sin does not have the, the same power over us. Know this today, that when we come to Christ, when we are uh, born again by the Spirit, we've been rescued uh, from the power of sin, not just the penalty of sin. You see, there are many believers today who are just so happy that they've been saved or they've been rescued from the penalty of sin. And i got to say, we ought to rejoice when we think about the fact that when we die, we're going to go to be with the Lord. Amen? Because the penalty of sin has been paid for. But I also want you to know today that Christ has saved you from more than just the penalty of sin. He's also saved you from the power of sin. He has saved you from the power of sin to rule your life. And so instead of being slaves to sin, we are now slaves to Christ, meaning this, that our will is wrapped up in his will. Our relationship with sin has changed, and at the same time, i got to say this, our relationship with the law has changed as well. And what you need to understand as we read this text today is that Paul is primarily addressing Jewish believers who are still trying to please God through obedience to the law. They still think, man, it's my, my ability to obey the law that somehow makes me righteous in God's sight. But in our passage today, Paul is going to help them understand that their relationship to the law of Moses, particularly the Ten Commandments, has changed. Would you stand with me one more time? We're going to stand for the reading of God's Word. We just like to reverence the Word of God in this way. Romans chapter 7, beginning there in verse 1, Paul writes these words. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, 
that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, in other words, in the same way, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You'll notice there in chapter 7, it sounds very familiar because, once again, Paul is going to begin this section with a question. He says, or do you not know, brothers, from speaking to those who have the law? Again, He's saying this is something that you Jewish Christians should know, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Verse 2, and here's how he's going to explain this to us with an illustration of marriage. Verse 2, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Understand that while the Jewish law provided for divorce that was initiated by a man, it did not give the wife the same freedom. And so there's this understanding, really, that the contract of marriage for a woman only ends when a spouse dies. If the husband died, the wife was free to marry again. And really, Paul is making the point, and it's this point, that death ends all contracts. Understand this, the collection letters mean nothing when you're in the grave, right? They can send them all they want, right? The wife is no longer bound to her husband if he dies because death ends all contracts. If he dies, she's free from the law and she's free to marry another. Now, again, he's using this as an illustration for us. But he says there the same thought in verse 3. Accordingly, she would be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Again, according to Jewish law, a woman who left her husband and lived with another man was considered an adulteress. And so this text is really not a text about marriage, okay? Paul is simply using the marriage relationship as an analogy in order to help Jewish believers understand their relationship to the law. Why? Because the Jews considered themselves to be the sons of the law. You know, that's the meaning of the word bar mitzvah. I'm sure you've heard that word, living in Rockland, right? You've heard bar mitzvah before? It means this, son of the commandment or son of the law. When a Jewish boy turns 13 years of age, he gets married. He gets married to the law. 
Now, later on in verse 10, Paul is going to explain what that did in his life, but he wants these Jewish believers to see that they cannot be married to the law and married to Jesus at the same time. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that, don't miss this, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. He's saying that before you knew Christ, it was like you were married to the law. You were married to the law and you were married to sin and what a rotten marriage that was. Because just as in any marriage relationship, there are children that are produced, there's offspring, right? What is the offspring of our connection to sin? We talked about it a few weeks ago, right? Uh, In Romans chapter 6, verse 21, he, he talks about the fruit you were getting in sin. It was the fruit of hangovers and broken relationships and guilt and shame. All those things that you would look back on now and you say, man, I'm ashamed of when I live that way. And, and you realize, man, the end of those things is only death. But now in Christ, we have died to the law. For what purpose? Underline these words, so that we may belong to another. In other words, this is why, so that we may belong to another, that we may be married to another. Please hear me. You have not been freed from the law or freed from sin just to live however you want. No, we are called to belong to another in order that we might bear fruit for God. In your relationship with sin, sin didn't die, rather you died. Likewise, your marriage union with the law is broken off, and so now you're free to marry someone else. Now you belong to Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And it's our marriage union with Christ that produces offspring in our life. And this offspring will not be death. It will bear fruit for God. Remember, we said it a while back that we are saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. It always produces fruit. You used to be married to the law, and that union gave birth to death because of sin, but now you're married to Christ. Now you are joined with Christ, and so you give birth uh, to life through him. You see, there are some who think that, yes, you know what, we're saved by grace, but then we need to live by the law. We need to live by the law in order to please God and earn his favor. But Paul wants to make it very clear to believers that they're dead to the law, as far as it represents a principle of of living or a place of right standing before God. You see, if we understand grace and we live by grace, then we are through with the law. It's no longer seen as our pathway to salvation. Jesus is our pathway to salvation. And so look what he says there in verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions that were aroused by the law, those things were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. In other words, before we were born again, we were confronted by the law, right? The law says don't do this, do this. And at the same time, we have no power to deny the flesh. You see, this is the problem with the law. When we are living in the flesh, the law just arouses our sinful desires. That's how the law works in the mind of someone who has not been redeemed. We see it from a very young age. You parents know this. If you tell your child not to touch the stove, what's the first thing they're going to do? They can go touch the stove, right? And it doesn't matter what you tell them. You could try to explain it to them. You know what? It's, it's going to be painful. You're going to hurt yourself. Ouchie, right? Whatever you say, right? You look away. The first thing they're doing is reaching for the stove. I heard about a, a waterfront hotel that was built in Florida, and it was built there on the intercoastal, and so it was so close to the water that Someone on management was so concerned that people might start fishing from the balconies. 
And so they put all these signs on the balconies that said no fishing from the balcony, but it was an absolute mess. People started fishing from the balconies. They're, they're casting their lines and hooks are getting stuck in towels down below. The weights are coming back. They're, they're breaking windows. It's chaos. You know how they solved the problem? They took down the signs. They took down the, apparently, once they took down the signs, no one had the idea to fish from the balconies anymore. And so understand this, it's because of our sinful nature that the law can actually work like an invitation to sin. What does the law say to you? What do, what do speed limit signs say to you? It's amazing because I've had this conversation many times, right? How, how far can we go over the speed limit before we get pulled over, right? Can I go five over? Can I go 10 over? Am I, am I still good, right? It's 55, I can go 65, but what happens when the sign says 65? You do 75, right? And, and do you ever excuse ignoring the law? I know I do. I, I, if, if you're like me, a little confession, when you see those speed limit signs that have the radar, right? Um, I'm not saying I'm right, I'm saying I'm a sinner, okay? But when I see those, sometimes it's flat. I'm like, let's see how high we can get that thing to go, right? I got a good 50 feet. Let's see what number we can reach, right? Sometimes I want to go fast and make that thing flash. And here's the truth. The law does not give us the power to obey God. It only tells us what God expects, and then it shows us who we really are. The law reveals the depravity of our sin nature. It stirs our sin nature and therefore produces death. The wages of sin is death. And hear me today, the devil always pays his servants. When you work for the devil, he'll he'll always pay you on payday. But when we receive Christ, hear me, we don't receive wages. Instead, we receive a gift. We receive what we do not deserve, eternal life. Look at verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now we're released from the law. Understand, he's saying we're delivered from the law. This is really a summary here of verses one through, one through five, right? In other words, because we died with Jesus, we're dead to the law again. We're delivered from the law and its rule in our lives. Hear me, the law doesn't justify us and it cannot sanctify us. The law doesn't justify us. The law doesn't make us right with God and the law can't even sanctify us. It it doesn't take us deeper with God and make us more holy before him. And so we've died to that which held us captive. For what reason? It's so that. There's, there's a lot of therefores and so that's in Paul's writing. In other words, this is, this is, because of that, here's what's going to happen. But because of that, here's how you ought to, to live. It is so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Again, hear me, this freedom from the law is not given to us so that we can stop serving God. You say, I'm free now. I can put the Bible away. I don't got to serve God, right? No, this freedom from the law is given to us so that we can actually serve God better. We can now serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the law. What is the new way of the Spirit? It is our new life in our relationship with Christ that is led by the Holy Spirit instead of just a list of do's and don'ts. And so we died to our first spouse. That spouse was demanding and inflexible. His demands only brought out our rebellious nature. Oh, we may have tried to obey because we knew we were supposed to obey, but that list of rules, it gave us no desire to obey. But in this new marriage relationship, we are led by Christ's example, and we're led by his Holy Spirit that lives within us. And can I just say, this relationship is a very different relationship 
because now we actually want to do what pleases Christ. Now we actually have that desire that comes out of our love for him. Like when we looked at the law and that list of rules, you react out of duty. I'm going to do it because I know I'm supposed to do it. But now we want to spend time with Christ. Now we want to know his heart. Now we want to live in a way that's according to his desires for our lives. And it's his desires that are in accordance with the spirit of the law. I love Galatians 2.20 because in essence it says we are losing ourselves in Christ. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so the question for all of us is how well do we serve in the new way of the Spirit? You see, there are many that serve sin, but there are others that serve legalism with more devotion and more passion than those who serve God out of the newness of the Spirit. I want you to imagine it's a Saturday morning and there's a knock on your door and you open it up to see two very nicely dressed individuals. And they ask you if you have a, a moment to talk about God and they hand you a magazine called the Watchtower. Some of you got that knock on the door, right? And they say, we want to talk about, we'd love to talk with you more about God. And you don't know what to say, and so you let them know you're busy. I got a chicken in the oven. I know it's 10 a.m. I got a chicken in the oven. I'm busy, right? God bless you. You send them on their way, and you're relieved as they walk away. But at the same time, something in you says, man, these people are devoted. Like, they're, they're all dressed up. They're going out on a Saturday morning, and they're knocking on doors. And here I am. I just rolled out of bed, Right? You're impressed by their commitment, and you think, man, I really need to do more. But know this, that when they're done knocking on doors, they go back to Kingdom Hall, and they fill out a form, and they write down all the time that they spent going door to door, and if they don't put in enough time, they're going to get a talking to. You see, the motivation is legalism. You need to earn God's favor. And to be quite honest, some Christian churches follow that example of guilting people into serving, right? Guilting them into witnessing. Can I just say, we don't do that here? But I'm convinced at the same time that there are those who serve legalism with more devotion than those who serve God out of the newness of the Spirit. Because when we're serving legalism, we're usually serving out of a place of fear, man. And that fear can motivate us, right? I don't know if I'm right. I got to do more. I got, I got to do something to earn God's favor. But when we serve God out of the newness of the spirit, we are motivated by God's love and by God's grace. Can I just say, let his love motivate you. Let, let his grace motivate you. Look at verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? Now, if you follow this train of thought, you can understand how someone might say, well, Paul, is there something wrong with the law? Paul, are you saying that, that God's law is bad? And what does he say? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. In a way, I, I see it this way, that the law is like an x-ray machine. It reveals what is already there but hidden. Imagine you're out playing basketball with, with your friends and you're a little too old, so you shouldn't be doing it, but you're out there anyway. And you take a nasty fall, and it's one of those falls where when you land, you know something's bad and something's wrong, right? All your friends look over and they're like, oh, that's not good. And so you jump in the car, you drive to the ER with your, your good arm, and they bring you in, and the doctor says, oh, we got to get an x-ray. So they bring you into that little room, and they put the little bulletproof vest over you, and the tech leaves the room, 
and he hits that little button. You're thinking, how safe is this, right? I got this over me, and he's in another room, right? Uh, flip your arm over, right? Does the, go through the whole spiel, and then they put you in a room, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And eventually, the doctor knocks on the door, and he takes the x-ray, and he puts it up on the little light box, and he says, you've got to see this. We got the x-ray back, and it clearly shows that your arm is broken, and you're going to need surgery. Now, that's bad news, and you don't like to hear it. And so right away, you get angry. You get angry at the x-ray machine. Say, man, that stupid x-ray machine. Are you sure that's what it says? And you want to argue? Listen, the doctor's not going to argue over the x-ray. But you're like, man, I hate that stupid x-ray machine. Are you sure it knows what it's talking about? That is a a stupid machine. Let me at that machine. Listen, if you did that, you might find yourself in another room in another hospital, okay? Because the reality is you can't blame an x-ray machine for what it exposes, and you cannot blame the law or the word of God for what it exposes in your life. All the law does is it sets the speed limit so you know you're going too fast. It sets the boundaries in life so you know you're off track. And let's be honest, there's some areas in our lives that it wasn't, if it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't know we're sinning, right? The law shows us what that is, but the law is not the problem, sin is. Again, the law simply reveals what's going on, but is often hidden. And our world today, you've got to understand, is so hostile to the word of God, not because the word of God is bad, but because it reveals the fact that something is broken. The word of God reveals that something is fractured and is off, and really it's our relationship with God. But the world will tell you, oh, the Bible, well, that's, that's unloving. The law is unloving, or that Christians are unloving when they hold up the word of God as a standard. And sadly, many churches, many mainline denominations are moving away from the authority of Scripture because they say, well, we don't want to offend. But here's what happens when the church turns off the x-ray machine, if you will. Here's what happens when the church says, we're going to stay silent on that issue because we might offend someone. When that happens, the world doesn't see how truly broken and sinful it is. And unless they see how how sinful they are, they will not recognize their need for a savior. Can you imagine a a doctor ignoring an x-ray that shows that someone's arm is broken, right? They they look at the x-ray, they say, oh no, he's not going to like that. Toss that to the side. Walk in the room, you're you're good, buddy, you know, just take a few aspirin, rest, walk it off, you'll be fine in the morning, right? What's going to happen? A few months later, there's going to be a serious lawsuit, right? You would even say that doctor is cruel. He's cruel, he's evil for not exposing the problem, but I think the same is true for any church that remains silent about sin. You see, I hope when you come to church on a Sunday morning and we open the word of God, that there is enough humility in your life that you would say, you know what, this morning I need an x-ray. I need the word of God to search me, to examine me. I hope there's enough humility that you can walk through these doors on a Sunday morning and say, you know what, there's certain things in my life that are broken and they may even be hidden and I need the word of God and I need the spirit of God to reveal those things. You see, 1 John says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And so, let's be honest, we all need the Word of God. We all need the Spirit of God to examine our lives. And, and, and so, as the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts of sin. And can I just say, that's for our benefit. That's for our healing. He wants to hold up the x-ray and say, look, this is where it's off. We need to talk about this. We need to see healing in this area of your life. And it's so that we can turn to Christ and that we can walk in this newness of the Spirit of God. Look at what he says there in verse 8. 
verse 8, but sin, right? He says, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, it produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin dies. So he says sin is going to take the opportunity. It's not the fault of the commandment. Sin takes the opportunity. The warning that says, no, don't do that, actually becomes a call to action because of our sinful nature. If you go back in American history, back to the Prohibition Act, did that stop drinking? No, it didn't. In many ways, it made it more attractive because all of a sudden, there's a boundary, right? We've got to cross that. As soon as God draws a boundary for us in our lives, so often it's our sinful nature that says, I'm going to cross that boundary. And that's not God's fault. And that's not the boundary's fault. The fault lies in our sinful hearts. You see, our hearts are, are so wicked that they can find opportunity even in something as good as the law of God. I mean, this shows how, how great the evil of sin is, that, that it can take something that's good and holy like the Word of God and, and use that to produce evil. But that's what sin does. Sin warps things. Sin twists things. Sin takes love and it turns it into lust. Sin takes a desire to provide for your family and turns it into greed. Sin can even take the law that is good and use it as a promoter for sin. And here's Paul's testimony, verse 9. He says, I I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, I once was alive? He's not talking about being alive with the life of Jesus or as many of the New Testament writers speak of. No, he was alive in the sense that he had never been put to death because of the law. And, And so in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his sinfulness, he was okay, or at least he thought he was okay. But then he came to know the law. And the law showed him his guilt, but it also awakened his rebellious heart. That's what he means. Sin came alive and I died. While trying to live perfectly, Paul knew that he was a sinner. And the same happens for each of us. The more we understand God's law, the more we realize how sinful we are. Look at verse 10. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. You see, the law tells us if we meditate on it, we will have life. But when we look into our hearts, while we're doing that, we find sin. You can meditate on any law of God, and you'll see all the ungodly detours that your thought life can take. And because the law tells us that the soul, that sin shall die, if you think for a moment, even like the example of coveting, right? Think about that. I'm reminded of all the ways I covet. And when I'm reminded that it is rebellion against God to go against the law, I try to stop doing that, but I try to do it in my own power, and I can't do that. And so Paul was saying the very commandment he thought kept him actually revealed his heart to be sinful, and then his failure caused him to try even harder and harder, right? You see the cycle that you get on. Look at what it says there in verse 11. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. Again, it's not the commandment's fault. It's the, the law. That's not the law's fault. No sin. It seizes the opportunity the commandment provided. And so the law commands me to obey, and my pride says, okay, I got that. I could do that. It's January 1st again. I know I didn't do it last year, but I got this this year, right? I'm determined I'm going to stick with it. This time I'm going to win out. But then the very next failure is like being killed by the law. You see, if you live with failure after failure in an attempt to keep the law, it ought to convince you that something is wrong. Sin killed me. Sin, when followed, always leads to death, not to life. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is to make us think of sin as something that is good. 
He'll tell us that it's God that's not good because he wants to deprive you of that thing. But hear me today. When God warns us to stay away from sin, he warns us to keep us from something that can kill us. The main purpose of the law is to lead us to the one who is perfect. That recognition of sin in our lives ought to cause us to seek a savior. And so Paul says this, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law shines a spotlight, and it's a, it's a necessary spotlight. It's a good spotlight. In fact, it's consistent with the nature of God who's holy and righteous. And we know this, that sin is not just the actions that we think, but also the evil desires, the, the attitudes of our heart. And our God loves us enough that he wants us to know how hopeless we are apart from the life of Christ living within us. You see, Paul's never going to tell us to get rid of the law. He's never going to tell us to to lose respect for the law. He had a lot of respect for the law. And the truth is that the believer loves the law, but they're not married to it. No, the believer is married to Christ, who is the living word. And so the believer values the law, but is led by the Spirit on how to live. You see, when we're led by the Spirit into an intimate relationship with Jesus, we're going to avoid the cold application of the law that can be so void of the Spirit. That's religion without the Spirit of God, right? Do this, don't do that. How do I know? Go through my checklist every day, right? But instead, we now say, Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Look at verse 13 as as we prepare to close. It says, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. There it is. Again, by no means. The fourth time he says it. By no means, okay? In regards to the law of God, even though it provokes our, our sinful nature, this can be used for good if we allow it to expose our sinfulness right? Like again, if if sin can use something as good as a law to its advantage in promoting evil, how evil is sin? And so church, hear me today. We need the word of God. We need for sin in our lives to be revealed as sin. Because all of us, all of our lives, in all of our lives, sin wants to hide. Sin wants to conceal itself. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, This is one of the most deplorable results of sin. It injures us most by taking from us the capacity to know how much we are injured. It undermines the man's constitution and yet leads him to boast of unfailing health. It beggars him, tells him he's rich. It strips him and makes him glory in fancied robes. And so the law is necessary. The law is useful if we allow the law to awaken us to sin in our lives. And so what does Paul mean when he says through the commandment that sin would become sinful beyond measure? Well, you can think of it in two ways. First, sin becomes sinful beyond measure when we contrast it to the law, right? When we hold up our, our, our sin to the law of God, we say, man, that is, that's sinful beyond measure. Secondly, you could say that sin becomes sinful beyond measure when the law provokes its evil nature. And so I hope that you understand in a greater way, what Paul is saying here in the beginning of chapter 7, and that it will cause you to stay away from legalism. Because know that this, that that law-keeping, that just keeping the rules, it's not going to do it for you. It can't. We can't keep the law perfectly 
And yet the church has tried to impose rules on people through the years, telling women, you can only wear this. Your hair can only be this long, right? Man, you have to do this and not that. This big list of rules. And, and in the end, maybe some of you grew up in that, and you walked away saying, this is impossible. Like, I can't do this. I keep falling short. And I keep walking around just feeling condemned. And so you know what? I quit. But, but I want to show you something in Galatians as we prepare to close here. What, what Paul says to the church in Galatians. Because... What he wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, Paul addresses uh, these same things in a, in, a, in a way that I think sheds greater light. He says, he asks this question. He basically says, is the law contrary to the promises of God? In other words, I have the promises of God over here. And I have the, is the law contrary to the promises of God? He says it again, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to who? To those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until, hear this, until Jesus Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So the next time someone says, well, you're a Christian. I, I thought you're supposed to do this and not that. I was told Christians don't do that. And, and, and why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? You can point to this verse and say, well, first of all, let me tell you, I'm not under the guardianship of the law. That's what Paul says. We're no longer under the guardianship of the law. You see, the Jewish believers would say, you can't come out from underneath the law because the law is what keeps us safe. If you're not under the law, then what are you under? And here's what we're going to see as we continue through the book of Romans. Paul is going to begin to talk about the guardianship of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit. Now hear me, this kind of talk, being free from the law, no longer being under the law, it makes legalistic people very nervous, okay? But we're going to talk about it anyway. And in weeks to come, because according to the new covenant that you and I are under, now God has taken his very word. He's taken his law. And he's written it on our hearts through his Holy Spirit. You see, that's the beauty of what it means to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the letter of the law. And so we see in Romans chapter 7, the believer's relationship to the Ten Commandments, the believer's relationship to the law, and we're reminded that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our relationship to the Ten Commandments changes drastically because we are incorporated into what Scripture calls the New Covenant. And it's under the new covenant that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we realize that the law can only expose sin. And yet we have this new appreciation for the law, don't we, right? Because it gives us a picture of God's character in our lives. And so with that in mind, I was thinking this week, how, how should we feel when you, when you see the law removed from our nation? When you see the Ten Commandments taken out of classrooms and, and courtrooms, well, I think that all depends on what you're expecting the Ten Commandments to do. Because if we're expecting the Ten Commandments will just make people more godly and more moral, then we're going to be greatly disappointed. The law can't make someone holy any more than a college entrance exam can educate a five-year-old, okay? The law can't make someone holy any more than an x-ray machine can cure cancer. And so as we pray for our nation, understand this, no matter where you post the law, it is powerless to change the human heart because all it does is show us a standard, but it doesn't give us the power to meet that standard. And so instead, we ought to view God's law, I think, differently. 
we ought to see them as a reminder of the God who gave us the law. You see, if we expect the law to define sin and to remind us that there is a God who is holy and just and good, that's exactly what it will do. But I want to tell you this, as we live in a world that is increasingly hostile to the Word of God, as we live in a world that would forbid the Ten Commandments to even be spoken in our schools, we know this, that the natural law is still there. And it's going to remind people that there is a God. It will always remind people that there are certain things that are right and there are certain things that are wrong. And God is holy, and God is just, and God is good. And hear me today, there's not a single courtroom in America that can push out God's natural law because it's accessible to everyone everywhere all the time. You can't shut out God's natural law, and it cannot be silenced. But the most important thing for you and I as we close today isn't whether the Ten Commandments are posted in our schools or our courtrooms. The most important thing is whether you and I are bearing fruit for God. Remember, we've not been released from the law so that we can live however we want to live. Don't think, man, I've been released from the law and so now I don't have to serve God. I I can go live however I please. You've been released from the law and now you're married to another so that your life and my life would bear fruit for God. You see, without the church being who the church is supposed to be, The law is only going to stimulate more sin in the lives of people. This is why we're called to be the light of the world. We're called to be the salt of the earth. We're never called to be the Ten Commandments. Sure, we hold up the Ten Commandments as a standard, but we're called to be light and we're called to be salt because it's only the church that has the good news that says that God took on human form, that he lived a life of perfect obedience to the law, that he died a sacrificial death in our place, and that he rose from the grave. Only the church has the message that it is by trusting in Jesus that people are truly liberated, not only from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin over their lives. It's only by trusting Jesus that we're set free to serve God. Would you stand with me as we prepare to close today? I just feel like I want to remind you, you know, even as we sang out this morning, you, you guys are singing like you believe the words you're singing. But I want to remind you why the church exists. You know, our mission statement is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, right? But I believe this, as you submit your life to Christ, that you will bear fruit. And I believe that 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 fruit is going to affect the world around us. And so I just want to remind you today that our, our reason for existence is to share the message of Jesus Christ. You see, the message of moral standards apart from the message of God's grace is a message of hopelessness. But I want to encourage you today to declare the message of God's grace this week. Yes, hold up a standard that reveals sin. But as people see sin in their lives, let them know there's a Savior who extends grace. Would you lift your hands around the room today just as a sign of surrender to him? If you want to live in his grace this morning, maybe you recognize Man, I've been living in such a way that I'm I'm trying to do this and that and trying to earn God's favor. Listen, if you are in Christ today, you have his favor over your life. And, And so you can live not under the law, but under that new covenant of the Spirit. So maybe today there's an area that the Holy Spirit would would highlight today. Maybe today he would shine a spotlight on some area in your life. I want to tell you today there is a difference between conviction and condemnation.
Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. He can, he'll convict us of sin so that we can turn, right? So that we can continue to be made more like Christ. Condemnation comes from the enemy. And condemnation says, you know what? You did it again. See, you haven't changed. You're the same old you. When the enemy comes in and tries to bring condemnation, we're going to get there soon to, to say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, you're highlighting something in my life. I need you to give me the power to change. It's not going to be in my own ability. It's not going to be in my own strength. Holy Spirit, give me the power. And so maybe today that's just your prayer. Lord, highlight any area. In humility, Lord, we say, Lord, highlight sin in our lives, Lord God. Lord, those areas that we're off, we recognize today, we, we need the x-ray. We need you to, to highlight those things, to, to point them out. But Lord, we thank you that as you do that, you not only highlight that area, but you give us the power to overcome. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our lives, that you would refine us. Lord God, we thank you for the promise today that he who began a good work is faithful. Lord, you're faithful to complete it. So before we even sing a song today, you could just say, Holy Spirit, highlight something in my life, even right now, and just surrender to him. Scripture says this, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, not only to forgive us our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you need forgiveness today, there's forgiveness in the blood of Christ. But there's also cleansing. There's a washing. Let him do something new in your life before we leave this place. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.